Welcome to Peace Lutheran Church Podcast. We're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 1 today. This is the uh, recording for the last Sunday of the church year, so it's quite fitting that we remember the most important teaching in the church, who is Jesus Christ and what he's done. And this is ever so important in the last days that we live in, days that are quite confusing when it comes to knowing what is real and what is fake. I mean, we live in the day and age of Photoshop. It's amazing what people can do with with images. You can't tell what is real and what is fake. We used to say seeing is believing, but that's not the case. But it will be one day. That is, by the way, why Jesus will return visibly and every eye shall see him and have to acknowledge that who he claimed to be, he really is. Seeing will be believing. In the meantime, though, while we wait for the great and glorious day of the Lord, God has given us his word to believe and to trust. And why is that? so important. I'll tell you. In 1978, 900 people committed suicide. They followed the self-proclaimed Messiah, Jim Jones, down to the jungles of South America to build a paradise of racial equality and harmony. Believing his creed of love and equal, equal opportunity, beguiled by his charisma and eloquence, They put their complete faith in this magnetic visionary. His most audacious boast? He was the reincarnation of Christ, the real Jesus. 900, many who were children, and these were decent, hardworking, socially conscious people, some highly educated who wanted to help their fellow man and serve God. all committed suicide at the command of Jim Jones. Beliefs have very real consequences. Faith has its consequences. That is why faith is only as good as the one in whom it's invested. What you believe is so important. Knowing the truth about Jesus Christ is for every one of us a matter of life and death. Granted, most of us will never succumb to the manipulation of a madman like Jim Jones, but we are, every single one of us, every single day of our lives, being bombarded by distortions and misunderstandings and -and out-and-out lies about Jesus Christ. Those outside and within the church, we have had so-called scholars announce to the world that Jesus was married and had children, that he didn't really rise from the dead, and that the Gospels that record the events of his life cannot be trusted. The truth about Jesus Christ is always under attack, and that's why at another end of the church year, we're reflecting on who Jesus is and what he has done. 
And since we did not have Bible study this morning, you are going to get a bit of that today in the sermon. We're going to let the Word of God just speak to us. Colossians is the perfect text for this topic because the truth about Jesus Christ was under attack back in the first century, just as it is today. In Colossians 2 verse 4, we hear Apostle Paul say, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. He's concerned for his church. And a few verses later, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. This kind of pastoral concern is all over the place in the letters of the, to the Colossians. It appears that someone had come there, started teaching things that simply were not true. It's obvious from what he does say that a lot of it centered around the person and work of Jesus Christ. So let's take a look at it. Who is Jesus? First, verse 15 says he is the image of the invisible God. And that does not mean that Jesus is simply God-like. Paul is saying Jesus is God himself. Verse 19 clarifies it. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In other words, if you want to know the truth about Jesus Christ, first you have to understand that he was not just a good man or a wise teacher. Jesus said himself in John 14, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. I am in the Father. The Father is in me. And Hebrews 1 verse 3, The Son is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. It can't get much clearer. But that's just the beginning of who Jesus really is. Look at, he goes on in verse 15. The firstborn of all creation. And that is not to say that Jesus is a creation of the Father. Paul will clarify that in a second. Firstborn here refers to privilege. Firstborn sons, especially in Paul's world, had certain privileges and rights and authority. And Paul is saying the truth about Jesus is that he has priority status over everything and everyone. And I love that word that is used preeminent in Colossians 1 verse 18. Preeminent. In verse 16, we hear, by him all things were created. Well, God created all things. Exactly. And this is referring to Jesus. We think of the work of creation as the work of the Father, and of course it was. But Jesus was there also when the universe was being formed. He became a man when he was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, but he did not come into existence 2,000 years ago. He was there with God the Father in the beginning. In fact, Paul says not only were all things created by him, but notice also it says, and for him. Think about that for a minute. 
And then verse 17, he is before all things, which is even more mind-blowing than saying he was there at the creation. The truth is Jesus was there before the creation. Jesus is eternal. He has existed forever, which is to say that there is no time or place you can go back to where Jesus was not present. Not only that, in him all things hold together. Think about that one for a moment. We wouldn't even exist for one second if Jesus didn't hold all things together for us. And in verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the head of the body in the sense of being the source of life. A body can survive without a lot of things. It can even lose an arm or a leg and still exist, but a body cannot live without a head. That's what Jesus is for the church. He's the head, the source of life for us all. But the head of the body can also mean leader of the church. Jesus is that too. In fact, one of the titles given to pastors in days gone by was the title under shepherd. You don't hear that word much anymore, and it's kind of too bad because it was a good word, a good reminder that no one in the church, not even the pastor, can ever be any higher than in the second position of leadership. Jesus is the shepherd, the leader of the church. Verse 18, he is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead. And here, firstborn is not talking about privilege. It's talking about order. If he's firstborn, then someone's going to be secondborn and thirdborn and so on. And of course, that's us. He's talking about us and our resurrection. Firstborn, Jesus rose from the dead. And as amazing as it is all by itself, it's a preview of the coming attraction when all of us will rise from the dead. Jesus is going to raise your dead up someday soon. The greatest family reunion you can ever imagine is on the calendar. You don't know the date because it's a surprise reunion God is throwing. But don't doubt for one second that it's going to happen. Why can I say that? Well, because the truth is Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. And if he's the firstborn, that implies there will be others. And that is promised in Scripture. That we too will rise from the dead. And that's what we believe, teach, and confess. Finally, Paul says, because of all these things, he is also king of kings and lord of lords. In everything, he is preeminent. He has supremacy. His greatness both demands and deserves our worship and total commitment. That's who Jesus really is, and it's absolutely amazing. But there's more. What has Jesus done? He wants us to know not only the truth about who Jesus is, but also the truth about what Jesus has done.
Verse 13, he has delivered us, rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into, transferred us to his kingdom. And there's so much there in just that one sentence. First, notice the phrase is not just darkness, but the dominion of darkness. Dominion refers to power and control. Darkness, in other words, didn't just appear from time to time in your life before knowing Jesus. Darkness was in power. Darkness was in control. And that's hard for any of us to admit. We don't want to believe that we really need Jesus quite that much, but we do. We'd be lost without him. Without the grace and mercy and action of Jesus in our lives, darkness would have reigned forever. We will never turn on the light by our own efforts because we're not in charge and we can't even find the light. Secondly, notice it's past tense. He has rescued us. The work's over. In other words, this is not something that you have to complete. It's done. It's finished. And notice also that this is the language of movement. He brought you from there to here. It's a dramatic move. Every single thing has changed. You go from dead, spiritually dead, to spiritually alive. And it's a huge deal, and you're never ever to forget that. What else has he done? Verse 14, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Neon light should go on when you hear forgiveness of sins. Jesus' death on the cross paid for your sins. But think about the implication of that. Redemption literally means that a purchase was made. To redeem literally means to buy back. The implication here is not simply that Jesus has forgiven you or even saved you. Jesus literally owns you. And that has at least one very significant implication that I want to point out. It means that you have value. Even in your worst moments, God deemed you to be of incredible worth. And I point this out because Satan often twists this idea in the minds of many believers. They ponder their sin and their failures and they start to think of themselves as not only guilty, but also worthless. And though they might be guilty, they're certainly not worthless. God has never, ever deemed any human being to be worthless. And his death on the cross makes that very, very clear. If we have been redeemed, then we are not worthless. And if the price God paid for our redemption was the life of his son, then our value to God is truly priceless. And that's the truth of the good news, the gospel. He has done so much for us. Verse 20, God has reconciled to himself all things, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. As good as it is to examine Colossians 1, verse by verse, and ponder the details there about who Jesus is and what he has done and all that wonderful theology. The danger I fear is that we can start to miss the forest for the trees.
All of these things are very important to know, but knowing the facts about Jesus in and of themselves, it isn't good enough. The gospel is not a concept or an idea or a doctrine. The gospel is a person. Jesus Christ is the good news. So, what that means, practically speaking, when we stand at the funeral of a faithful member, thank God, there is a real, live person we can bring our grief to, and he can do something about it. When life is uncertain and frightening, we can pray, and a real, live person will listen and act on our behalf when we feel alone and depressed and a doctrinal statement does nothing for us no matter how true it is we can find comfort and peace in knowing that god has given us so much more than that god so loved the world that he gave us his son a person an amazingly unique person to be sure, but a real live person in Jesus Christ. And he is not dead. He lives and he reigns and he is our Savior who is with us. Faith is only as good as the one in whom it's invested. Thank God our ours Faith is invested not in concept or doctrine or a statement, but also in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen.